As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Today's podcast is presented in part by the IHRA Summit Sportsman Spectacular. New for 2018, the IHRA Summit Sportsman Spectacular will be contested at IHRA tracks around the country with a $10,000 win Saturday and $5,000 to win Sunday format. By pre-entering the Saturday race for only $150, you will receive entry into Sunday's race for free. In addition, today's podcast is brought to you in part by This Is Bracket Racing Elite. If you're an open-minded racer with a desire to improve on the track, This Is Bracket Racing Elite can provide the tools to help you do so. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. This week on What Everyone is Talking About. All right, Luke, let's talk about what everyone is talking about. And uh, recently, the Supreme Court had a ruling for the state of New Jersey that will allow sports betting. And obviously, there is some drag racing that goes on in the state of New Jersey, and specifically sportsman drag racing, which is what we're all about. So, you know, it got us thinking, what are the ramifications for our sport? I'm assuming you saw this as well. Yeah, no, we had some pre-show discussion as to whether or not this is actually what everyone is talking about. It's kind of a slow <laughs> week, but so bear with us. And this is, if this has any ramifications on anything 
and specifically drag racing and then even more specifically sportsman drag racing, it would be way down the road. All that's happened right now is that the Supreme Court ruled in favor of New Jersey, which basically opens the doors for individual states to allow sports betting within their state. As it's been for the last several years, obviously, sports betting is allowed in Nevada, and it was three other fairly random states. It was Montana, Oregon, and somewhere else. But now, basically, the federal government has given the state, each state, the opportunity to make that decision for itself. So it's widely conceived that sports betting will ultimately be legal in several states. And there's been a lot of talk on sports radio about the ramifications that it has on different professional sports. And there's been a little bit of talk. I saw Kevin McKenna, friend of the podcast, <laughs> tweet a little bit about potential ramifications on NHRA pro racing. And again, we're completely spitballing here because I don't know that this has been talked about much and nothing is set in stone. Nobody knows what's going to happen here going forward and if it will ever really impact our sport. But let's just brainstorm a little bit, Big Jed. Like, let's say that there's a sports book somewhere, somehow, that wants to pick up sportsman drag racing. Maybe it's the million dollar race. Maybe it's the spring fling. Maybe it's a, a weekly Saturday night. What kind of impact? could you see this having on us as sportsman racers positive negative or in the middle well i could see a lot of different ways this could go it could go all of them but i guess the the pessimistic side of me seems to think that as easy as the results are to manipulate in what we do every day or every weekend when you talk about the kind of money that's already at stake that the promoters are I say promoters are putting up, that the, the racers are putting up to race for. And the money that could be generated by a sports book, I don't know, Luke. It just, it's a little scary to me to think how the money trail would get people doing things that they shouldn't do or things that we didn't want them to do. So I guess as much as there's some good that could be brought from it, I don't know, I, I, I tend to lean towards the bad that would come of it. I, I, I don't know that I like that a whole lot. I guess there's always that fear in any competition in which there's gambling connected to it. If I wanted to take the other side, I'd probably make two points, Jed. Number one, you say it's easy. Like, I think it would be, I think it would be fairly difficult to manipulate the outcome of a race consistently in a way that wasn't obvious. You know what I mean? Like, I think it would be hard to consistently lose by like five thousandths of a second. Possible, yes, for maybe the upper echelon of racers, but I don't think that's as easy as it sounds, particularly if both lanes weren't on the same page. You know what I mean? Like, I've sure. tried to lose several races when I look back on it and ended up winning. And I've certainly tried to win several races and ended up losing. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if somebody was saying, Luke, uh, make it to the semis and then lay down for 100000 bucks." Like, I would I'd be tempted to try that, you know, whatever. If whatever led, led me to that decision. But I would say, like, probably 30% of the time, like, I would mess that up somehow. And that'd be a really bad spot. You know what I mean? With a leg breaker or something. But yeah, we don't yeah, yeah, get after you. That wouldn't be good at all. And to the other side, like when we talked about this off air, we mentioned like the the massive purses that are available to sportsman racers today. It's hard for me to fathom, and I guess it could get there, that there would be enough outside money 
to incentivize throwing like the late rounds of the million dollar race or something because because in theory the races like that would be the ones that were getting bet like the numbers would have to get astronomical to justify that if that makes any sense and let me just take the alternate course here like you looked at the more pessimistic side and again this is so far out in the future it's it's completely spitballing at this point but what about the optimistic side? Like I look at this and I, I, I thought about this years ago and I didn't know how it could ever come to fruition and it was illegal. So I pretty much dropped the thought immediately and forgive my ignorance because I don't know exactly how like the horse betting industry or the dog track industry is structured, but using that type of model. And the reason I say that type of model is because my perception of that is that the house is in most instances the facility or the track right so that's the book and all of that money is then internal so basically all of the revenue created by those dog tracks is then shared between the owners of the tracks the racers the jockeys what have you right and then obviously some is paid back out to the betters because there are more losers than winners that's how they build those places right absolutely I could envision a scenario somewhere down the road where it is the racetracks and or promoters that are running the book. And then you can control the numbers, so to speak, to where like you don't accept a bet that is larger than the winner's purse of the race or what have you to kind of self-police that a little bit. And I could see it generating revenue for the racing community in general. Now, that's more of an internalized view. Because let's be honest, like that's the discussion about the sports betting ruling in general is that like it's not like, oh, my goodness, we can bet sports now. Right. People may bet sports for years. Like it's a huge black market. And to on a lesser scale, like there are Calcutta's and wagers involved with drag racing now at the sportsman level. If you legalize that and organize that, I think it creates uh, I think it has the potential to create an industry of its own that would generate revenue around sportsman racing which i think in large part would be good for the sport now you take that to a bigger scale which is kind of hard to imagine for our little niche so to speak but let's say for whatever reason the casinos get involved and there is a an open book on whatever the next big dollar bracket race right and then you potentially i think that opens up the potential for more manipulation because the numbers could get bigger but on the flip side that also puts more eyes on our sport. It creates more interest in our sport. And ultimately, that drives revenue as well. So I think you make the argument that, yeah, while well, there's a part of me that would feel uneasy about it, like I think this could potentially, again, way down the road, be a good thing for all of us. Yeah, well, obviously, uh, your thoughts were much deeper than mine, and um, you you definitely make some great points. And, you know, having heard your debate or your argument there, I definitely could see where it could be a good thing if the promoters were able to control it and, you know, have a maximum wager that didn't exceed the purse or actually get anywhere near it probably is the best thing, but definitely um, – could turn into a really good thing and generate some extra revenues for our sport. So maybe you it will know work out. our favorite degenerate disciple is sitting back somewhere like scheming. Like he's, oh, he's probably man. listening to the podcast going, Oh man, don't say that out loud. You know what I mean? Like he's 
He's <laughs> on this. I, I tra- if anybody in the world's on, I say that it's Randy Folk and Kyle Seipel. They're on. <laughs> yeah, really good point. So uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm sure, as you said, it's it's way down the road for our sport and and particularly the sportsman side of it. So we'll see how that goes. But Luke, uh, one other thing everybody's talking about, and I mean everybody. <laughs> is the fact that we just skipped a huge win for one of our teams at the, in Stock Eliminator at Atlanta. We just skipped right over that last week. And it, admittedly, this, is, this isn't on me. Like, this isn't part of Team Luke. And Mark's trying to fall on the sword here. Like, it's all my fault. But, man, this is your guy. And not only, Big Jed, is this a member of Team Jed, this is an Alabama slammer. Like how how did you let this slip through the cracks, man? Well, admittedly, I said I was at Galat, and it was uh, quite the weekend. Had a lot going on and a lot of driving, not a lot of keeping up with results. So the results that I looked at on the show notes were the only results I knew. You could have told me that Elmer Fudd won Superstock at Atlanta, and I wouldn't have known the difference. So my apologies to my fellow slammer all-around awesome dude and Team Jed member Jeff Strickland for uh, not getting the mention in the, for, for his stock win in Atlanta. But nonetheless, another one on the board for hmm. Team Jed and kind of, I guess, off in the distance, one for the Slammas. I mean, <laughs> anytime a Slamma wins, it's a, it's a Slamma win. So, Just so the audience is clear, where is Jeff Strickland from? He is from Red Bay, Alabama. He told me one time he could hit a golf ball to Tennessee or to, to Mississippi. I'm sorry. He like, can. Right there on the line. You don't even have to hit it well. <laughs> <laughs> so great job, Jeff. Congratulations. And um, sorry we missed you, bud. We prefaced this last show. This past weekend was obviously Mother's Day weekend. And Mother's Day weekend typically means a very quiet weekend on the drag racing scene for good reason. So we had to go a little bit outside of the box, a little bit outside of our conventional window to find this week's Siebert performance. Who's hot? He's on fire. It's time for Who's Hot in Sportsman Drag Racing. Seabird Performance Who's Hot. Seabird Performance specializes in performance engine building for every aspect of sportsman drag racing. They cover bracket racing, NHRA sportsman categories, heads-up categories, nitrous, turbo, and blower. Learn more at SeabirdPerformance.com. Luke, there was not a lot of racing. Obviously, we've talked about that already in the first part of the show due to Mother's Day and, and as you said, for good reason. But let's go back over an eight-day span and talk about this week's Seabrook Performance Who's Hot Driver. This driver, very young, by the way, very talented, covered four tracks in eight days and had six final round appearances in multiple categories with five wins. And it doesn't matter who that is, for the most part, that is simply dominating over an eight-day stretch anywhere in the country. But it happened in Florida, and it was Gage Birch. We've talked about Gage on the show multiple times. This young man turns on wind lights, a lot of wind lights, and he is having one heck of a season already. And his eight-day span, or this performance over this eight-day span, has just had to put him... At the top of Seabrook Performance, who's hot? Gage Birch, simply on fire. 
five wins in six final rounds. I would call that a successful season. Gage, <laughs> Gage Burge calls that a week. This is the, we're going to out ourselves a little bit here, Jed, because this is the extent of our investigative journalism on the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast. The three of us were just off air creeping on Gage's Facebook page. Like trying to keep up with all of this, but I'm pretty confident in saying like I don't know the exact number. Like so, we might should have done a little bit more homework. But like it's May, and I'm really confident in saying that Gage Birch has been in well over 20 final rounds in mm. 2018. That's nuts, man. That'll be anywhere from junior dragster competition, which he's still eligible for, uh, to no box or foot brake racing and. Uh, top bulb racing gauge pretty much has the weapon and ability to compete in any category and he is showing it like i said those six finals were spread across all of those categories and to get five wins out of that in an eight day span a little bit of driving under his belt getting to the tracks it was four different tracks He's won a gambler's race at the WFC. He's won on every level he's been on. This is the young man that collected four Wallies basically yeah. in, in a day or a weekend. I can't remember exactly how it worked out, but maybe over a day or two span there at the bracket finals. And just simply a very talented young man, which our listeners are going to hear a lot more of, not only here, but everywhere as you look at um, – bracket racing sportsman drag racing results across the country so congratulations gage birch heck of a performance which we've become used to out of him and uh just want to give a shout out to our man again not a lot of racing but uh we got a good listener that got himself pretty hot this weekend our buddy victo john victorino out in uh, the bay area san francisco area went to redding california over the weekend with his little S dime and got him a runner up in the first race and a win in the second race. So that was a huge weekend for Victo. I drove his shopping cart in Vegas at the legendary automobile and just really proud of Victo too. So great job on a, a special shout out, honorable mention in the Seabird performance. Who's hot? boy, Victo. So Luke, outside of those guys, it was a light weekend of racing, not a lot of winners to talk about. Um, so we, we're taking this time to do something that, that I know you've wanted to do here for many, many weeks. And we're very excited to talk about the psychological side of racing. And we're going to do that with our interview with Bruce DeVoe. And uh, Bruce will be coming up next. Yeah, this will be non-traditional for us, Big Jed. This will be. Uh, this is not interviewing the guy that won last week. I don't know what we're getting into. I have a feeling that this is going to uh, get deep into the weed at some points. I, I find this stuff fascinating. I hope that our listeners do the same. I've really, like you said, been looking forward to this conversation with Bruce DeVoe. It's time for the big interview. On the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. Hi guys, joining us now, as promised, is Bruce DeVoe. Bruce has a master's degree in clinical social work from Simmons College in Boston. He's a licensed psychotherapist and performance consultant in private practice in Amesbury, Massachusetts. In 2005, he developed the Racer's Mind, a workbook audio disc program to improve drag racers' confidence and focus bruce has given seminars on peak performance and reaction time at numerous events across the country including the performance racing industry known as the pri show and is a past contributor to this is bracket racing for eight years he wrote a regular column 
on the mental game in drag racing for National Dragster. While currently most of his time is dedicated to his counseling practice, he still consults with individual drivers and teams, and it is an absolute pleasure to have Bruce DeVoe join us on the show tonight. Bruce, thank you for coming on. Hey, thanks very much. That was a great intro. Good job. Oh, man, it felt good. It felt <laughs> real good, Bruce. You know, I'm, Luke, I'm really glad Luke, to be here. Luke called a blooper ahead of time, and uh, I'm not sure I didn't blooper, but I think I covered it up. So uh, really, really tickled to have you on the show. It's going to be a great interview and great time for us and our listeners. You, uh, you did. You got through that better than I anticipated, Big Jed. Um, <sighs> Thanks, Luke. <laughs> Bruce, your career has been multifaceted, I'd say to say the least. And we'll talk a little bit about what you focus most of your attention on these days, maybe a little bit later in this interview. But let's keep this racing focused, at least to kind of kick things off. I guess I'm curious, first off, how did you first become interested in mental performance in general? And maybe if if the path is is linear i don't know if it is or not interested in applying what you've learned about the mental game to the sport of drag racing thanks luke i guess it would start really in high school when i started being when i was in psychology class in high school but never thought i could do college and i was on a kind of a different path my dad owned a gas station so i was already into cars i was already into making cars go fast. And uh, so that, that was really the trajectory that it didn't necessarily include college. And so I developed a career uh, around cars and racing and artwork. And then by age 30, was starting to get a little tired of it and decided to make a change. But the interest in all of this started probably, probably around age 18. I had fallen in love with drag racing when I was 12, but by the time I was 18, I was racing a street car, not very seriously, but I was also crewing on a pro ET car back then for my friend Bob Carroll. And in that year, and I think it was 1978, Bob was not having a good year. He hadn't won a single eliminator, and he was outside the top 10 that would qualify him for the bracket finals. And there, there we were on the very last points day, and they did a double points day on that day. And Bob went three rounds, and just nudged himself into the number 10 spot to get into the bracket finals. And what, and, uh, like in that area, take us back, what track are you at? That was at New England Dragway. Okay. okay. So, so division one. Mm-hmm. So that put us going down to us 30 dragway in, in York PA. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a historian on bracket racing and big dollar bracket racing, but in my mind, it all comes back to the bracket finals as introducing people small-time racers like ourselves into a bigger world of race racing where there are hundreds and hundreds of cars and the competition is super tough. Mm-hmm. And so, so there we were two weeks later in York PA and Bob's, it was a 68 charger. It's not a fast car. And it was really at the top of the bracket as it was, it was an 1190, 1180 car in a good day. And we get to York and the air is dead and the car won't run the number. And so we're trying everything we got. Come Sunday morning, he, in a desperation move, he takes the bumper off the front of the car to see if he can lose a little weight and get to 11.99, the cutoff. And uh, first round, flat out, he runs 12.02 to win first round, and everybody's thrilled. And long story short, he goes on to win the race. Oh, wow. In a double breakout by the thousandth. And th- these were the days when, number one, there was no reaction timer. 
the York was a special track because they had fish line billboards. New England didn't have them at the time, but they didn't calculate the breakout. All the only wind light that you got was who got there first. Mm-hmm. So it was a pretty exciting final. We had to wait until the announcer did the math on a calculator to tell us who won. <laughs> yeah. Those were the good old days, Luke. Right? Yes. Yeah. Been and there so, for sure. Yes. And so that experience of watching Bob go through that and feeling like he had nothing to lose mm. taught me how to love the possible. And I think that was probably the spark that would show up later on that made me want to engage in the sports psychology side as it applies to drag racing. Long story. What was the word that you just said there? Made you love the... The possible. The possible. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Not the opossum. <laughs> no, you cut out right as you said it. I was like, I don't even know if I know that word. Okay. <laughs> Bruce, yeah. in the years you spent promoting the racer's mind, which I was a fan of in, in the days you wrote for National Dragster, was there any one question that you were presented with more often than others? I didn't get a lot of questions, you know, regarding the column itself. You know, it's a good the funny thing is I really appreciated Phil, the editor, and for giving me some freedom to expand beyond the mental game of drag racing. I wrote about kids in sport. I wrote about relationships. I wrote about mental health, mental illness. And I actually got the most mail when I wrote about relationship. It turns out drag racing can be a little tough on relationships. I don't know if you've had that experience. <laughs> no idea what you're talking about there, Bruce. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> Bruce, I want to go back just a little bit on the the story that you told about your buddy winning the, the bracket finals while you were kind of crewing for him in yeah. your youth. And you had talked about the the power of kind of approaching racing specifically or competition in general with the idea that there's nothing to lose. You know what I mean? That it's sort of a free role. Yes. I don't know if this is a great question, but is that like the best approach that you could lead someone to? I mean, obviously there's a lot of different ways to go about this, but there's value mm-hmm. in that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think at some point we can talk about how sports psychology then relates to all this. Mm-hmm. But that's not an easy state to attain no. uh, with nothing to lose because everyone w- wants to win really badly. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what makes a great winner is that desire. But when fear shows up, it ruins everything. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good way to put it. I guess in your years of, of schooling and practice since, mm-hmm. you draw some more parallels there like – is that a feeling or a mindset that we can teach ourselves to attain, or is it more just happenstance that we tend to fall into it? Well, I think it starts with falling into it, and maybe I can talk a little bit about the sports psychology of anything, if that's sure. an okay thing, place to launch from there. Yeah, no, I love discussions like yeah. that. I hope I, I, I assume many of our listeners will as well. Great, okay. Well, the mental game or the sports psychology of anything, whether it's drag racing or tiddlywinks, is about each individual zone of being energized at a high level in, at which they perform their best. But, but that zone is a rather unique state of body and mind. It's a very high level of stimulation, mental stimulation, but low level physical tension. 
So Mm -hmm. let's think about that for a second. We often think of the opposite. We often think of high stimulation, mental stimulation, accompanying high physical tension. Like when you're really jazzed about something, like, you know, when you're, you know, really angry or something. And we often think of uh, low muscle tension as being kind of a lazy mental state, taking a nap kind of feeling. And so this zone is it's a kind of unique mental state, not easily attained and not easily come by. And it's often stumbled onto by accident. And that's what I believe happened with my friend Bob. When he decided there was nothing to lose, there was something in him that abandoned the fear of losing while still holding the desire to win. And I'm sure you guys have seen that a lot. You know, you hear a lot of stories in racing about the guy who showed up at the track with this rig on the back of a wrecker, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or my friend Bob Broadbent at the Summer Nationals years ago now broke an axle on the very first time run and showed up for first round without having made a single full pass down the track. And by luck, he got a competition by and went on to win the race, feeling like he had nothing to lose. And I'm sure you guys, I bet you've got some examples of that kind of thing. Yeah, in my experience, like that instance goes one of two ways with nothing in between like either that bad weekend continues to spiral downward Mm. or like you say maybe you get a break or maybe it's more in the mindset of okay like it can't get any worse and things start to flow and then you end up conquering to kind of defeating all odds again with that outlook that you know it can't get any worse there's nothing to lose like i've seen it go both ways and it seems rare at least in memory that anything kind of falls in between you know yeah right yeah go ahead jim i was just going to ask bruce you know you talked about fear and the fact that when that shows up basically things go downhill from there to paraphrase it but do you feel like that's maybe the most common shortcoming in racers and how they see themselves do you think they fear failure more so than, than anything, or, or is there something else that you could put in that spot? I think that probably rises to the top. It's a strange phenomenon because we need fear. We need to respect the horsepower that, that's being manned here behind the wheel, and the driver without fear or respect of that is going to be in big trouble. But I think sometimes we invest something deeply personal in racing, and that personal stake makes losing all the more frightening, all the more personal. And that's, I think, where the fear of losing can have its roots in in how personal a loss can feel. Some of the most successful drivers I've known over the years have taken losses very calmly. They're not happy, don't get me wrong, and they may set low ET for leaving the track, you know, but, (laughs) but they don't take it personal. They know that losing is part of the sport. That's interesting because I'm trying to kind of draw a correlation like between, and I don't know that you can substitute the two words, maybe between fear and and pressure, because by your definition, so to speak, fear is, is obviously internalized. Like I would say, I've always said that all pressure is self-induced to the point that I feel like a lot of racers get really caught up in particularly in this day and age, and I'm sure this isn't unique to racing, I think we tend to get really caught up in what others think and their perception of our skill set. And I think we spend a lot of time 
in that light, like worrying way way too much about things that are completely out of our control. Like, how do you tie in that fear to pressure that that correlation? Maybe. Yeah, I think you make a good distinction, Luke. And then how personal that pressure can feel. Like, if a guy's racing and he feels as if he, if he loses, he's letting his team down. That's going to be more personal and create more fear. If he's afraid his wife is going to be pissed at him, you know, for losing or red lighting or whatever, that's going to create a unique kind of pressure that, that lives outside of the performance itself. Yeah, very well said. Bruce, I, you know, I, I used to be what I felt like was the most hated guy at the racetrack way back when, and, and I used to win a lot. Yeah. And now I feel like everybody loves me and they're pulling for me because of where I've been positioned in our sport and I get my head caved in a lot. So I need to go back to thinking everybody hates me. I think uh, I'll perform better. Uh, when you say head caved in, what do you mean by that? Getting whipped. Okay. <laughs> whipped with a switch. I don't know if y'all had switches in, in Massachusetts, but in Alabama we had switches, and that tear your legs up. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I got it. Yeah. I got a little more visual there than I wanted, frankly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, along those lines, maybe following a little bit uh, along the previous thought process, not so much the the switch thought process. Uh, this this actually, I told you I was going to reference a, a podcast that I've been listening to pre-show. The podcast is called Finding Mastery. For any of you listeners that are interested, hosted by a man named Michael Gervais, who's worked with the Seattle Seahawks. He's been a, a performance coach, so to speak, sports psychologist. It's a really fascinating podcast. But in in a recent episode, he talked about the two ways sort of to approach high stakes situations or, or, or pressure situations. And there's, he basically explained two approaches. Like there's an approach that says you have to go into that feeling like it's a, the stakes are big. I have to be clutch. And then there's an, a seemingly opposing approach that says you approach that high stakes game or competition just like you would any other. And it's more of a flow you know, getting into that rhythm, so to speak, where you're not necessarily thinking about the stakes, you're doing what you always do. So I guess in your practice, and, and you could probably make an argument for either, but I guess maybe personally, or do you feel like you're more flow or more clutch? And what would you recommend maybe to the, the racer that came to you with a similar question? Well, I think it gets back to how the uniqueness of each racer's personal zone. I think for a lot of people, it's on the flow side. Because that's the one that's going to promote a more relaxed physical state engaging in that. But I can imagine some racers who would probably need a little bit more of the other to step up. I think back, like personally, and like Chad just talked about, there, there was definitely, I, I definitely err more to, toward flow these days. Yeah. But is that because that's easy for me to say because I've had success and I've been doing this a long time. Like I definitely remember a day as Jed alluded to where I raced with a chip on my shoulder. Like I felt like I had something to prove and I had to step up in those big situations. And looking back, like I don't know that that mindset necessarily served me poorly. Although today, like I feel like I perform much better and I'm certainly much more comfortable kind of letting it come to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, well, you're in a state now where you can do that because you've worked so hard to attain that skill level. 
And so when I think of mastery, to get back to that word, mm-hmm. I think maybe of mastery being more of a process than an event. That's exactly how I view it. Okay. And that each person is on their own track with regard to that. And so the emphasis becomes, you know, personal best and and a constant state of improvement rather than anything that has to do with comparison. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I would think that in that strive for quote unquote mastery, like I don't think that anyone I can't imagine anyone like proclaiming themselves a master of, of their craft. You know what I mean? Like I right. think it's always a, it, a pursuit. Yes. And the minute they can say that, they're either deluded or bored. Right. And, and neither are good for competition. <laughs> <laughs> certainly, certainly. You've worked with a lot of racers specific to the, the starting line, which I think is probably the more mental aspect of our game, if you were going to break up the, the racetrack, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And my thoughts on this, which completely admittedly are not my own, when we had Tammy Eggleston on over a year ago with a similar conversation, I, I talked about how much I enjoy reading the works of a uh, sports psychologist named Dr. Bob Rotella. Who sure. had, okay, you're familiar with Rotella. It specialized in, in golf mainly, but yes. branched out into a lot of areas of sport. And what I had read from Rotella in the way that I take it is that, in the way I apply it to racing, is that reacting to a, a stimulus is basically a, a subconscious act, similar to shooting a free throw or standing over a putt. And that the the best way to sort of train the subconscious, the, the best method of going about that is to basically turn the conscious brain off, which is more difficult than it sounds. And the way that you kind of get there is to, as Rotella has, has, has quoted numerous times, like train it and trust it. You know, the more time that you spend training, the more those acts seem routine and the less you actually have to think about it, the less you think about it, the better off you are. Is your teachings do they follow a similar line or okay i think i have two responses to that question um one is i think the concentration demands on the starting line are are really quite quite a lot different than the finish line Mm -hmm. and in order to have the the kind of focus that's necessary and to be able to see the smallest part of the bulb that you can look for requires i think a really high level of energy uh, higher than I ever thought and, until I really started focusing and spending researching and following racers. And maybe we can come back around to how I would approach that with a racer, but also that the finish line requires something almost entirely different. So I've, I've worked with a lot of drivers to create two energies for one race, to come to the starting line with one, like something super high, to narrow the range of focus down to the smallest part of the bulb. But then Usually they'll take a cue like around the one-two shift or something to shift their energy into something that expands wider. Because when we're that high energy, our focus is very pinpointed. And by half-track, you need something very different in terms of being able to take numerous factors and ratios, uh, etc. And so one of the arts here in, in the sports psychology of drag racing, I think, is not only being able to bring one energy to the starting line, but to bring an entirely different one to the finish line. Hmm. I never really thought about it like that, but I, I can, yeah, like I, I get that, I think. Would, is the difference between the two largely or at least related to the idea that on the starting line, 
it's a so much more controlled environment. Like we kind of what happens is so much more structured, and so much can change with the look and the decision making down track. Is am I on the right track there? Yeah, you're right. Obviously, in drag racing, the demand is very singular at the starting line. Right. And in order to create what you were referring to earlier is to, to that mindless reaction, what we're really dealing with is a simple stimulus and response, mm-hmm. not stimulus think response, just <laughs> the same response you would have if you put your finger on a hot burner. You never thought about whether you want to lift your hand off the burner or that's the purest, simplest stimulus response, stimulus response. And that's what, for at least most drag racers with a button in, in their hand, is what it involves. And so there are things you can do to promote that singular singular focus. And that's all you have to worry about. So why not dump a whole lot of energy into that one effort? Sure, right. Yep. And then you contrast that with... Like you say, the whatever that cue is, the one-two shift to yeah. to switch gears. Not only, yeah. I guess that switching gears is a good uh, play on yep. words there. Indeed. Uh, mentally, like what yeah. in your mind, what is then the key point down track? Yeah. Well, you got to scrub some energy off first and foremost, and so you, invariably that involves some brand of a deep breath that won't fog your lens. Um, <laughs> so you got to scrub some of that super high energy off and which means whatever relaxation skill works for you, but usually a deep breath, sometimes a focus cue, like like saying something to yourself that helps you broaden beyond the, the one pixel on the bulb that you were looking at to something else will help you expand your mindset and your capacity to take in lots of different information from there forward. Fascinating stuff. Ba- I'll backtrack a little bit to your... Yep point in our conversation on reaction time just to put this maybe in uh, in more layman's terms than i typically do uh, and certainly then this conversation is gone like i did a school one time with troy williams jr friend of the podcast obviously decorated winner on the big money stage and troy put it like this which only troy can he said uh, we were talking about similar discussion about starting line and focus and how to kind of block things out and Troy's words were something to this extent. If you could, if hypnotism really worked and you could go to the hypnotist and say, when those three little lights come on, I don't want to think about anything. Mm-hmm. Like we'd all be so much better off. Mm-hmm. The, I think that almost gets harder with more experience because you tend to think like, what is that sound? Is that a loose valve? Is that, why did that guy stage like that? You know what I mean? Like there's, Mm -hmm. am I pressing the button too hard? You you know what I mean? Like as you learn more ways to lose, I think it's easy for things like that to infiltrate the mind, so to speak. And that's where gamesmanship is, you know, becomes popular because, you know, some racers know that if, if they switch things up, they can cause a thought to enter into the mind of their opponent that wouldn't normally be there. I'm not advocating that. I'm not necessarily a fan of it. But people who win a lot know to not be predictable, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. So, Bruce, uh, we talked a little bit uh, last week about two on-track fatalities, which yes. definitely anyone would understand. That's, those are the things we least like to talk about. Obviously, that's something that racers on all levels have to reconcile on their own terms on a very personal basis. 
What would you tell a competitor that's struggling to reconcile whether or not the benefits of competition outweigh the risk? Boy, that's a really tough question, Jed. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, I, I asked a hard question. You asked a hard question. It's a good one. Um, <laughs> I think this expands beyond the world of sports psychology into each individual's spiritual beliefs and and how they they frame their place on the planet even. So it makes it a little bit hard to address. I haven't had a lot of close experience with this except for maybe 20 years ago at New England, a, a really popular racer succumbed in a crash. And as I was reflecting on that, I realized that one of the impacts on it was how divided things got all of a sudden. There were people that sided with the driver who was deceased and his family Rightfully so. There were people that sided with the other car involved. There, yeah. Everyone sided against the track. Mm. There was a liability concern that, you know, I was uh, dismayed at how divided the community got for quite a long time. And I'm yeah. really not answering your question, am I, Jed? Well, not specifically, but I, I get where you're headed right there that, you know, it's it can be all across the board for whatever individual is dealing with it. So, and, and you're right, it does, we deal with it here on the show, it gets very divided, and it's hard to focus on improvement because of the division that we see. Good point. I think, to your point, Bruce, like, it is it is disheartening that, may, and maybe it's just a product of society today, like, there always has to be fault somewhere, and we tend to find that at times even before just coming together to to mourn you know in that situation yeah good point all right we've corresponded via email for for some time kind of leading up to this bruce and you talked a little bit teased a little bit and it may be way too in-depth to get into in depth here but talked a little bit about the focus of your career today well i know it's not as directly linked to racing as it maybe was a decade ago. I found the periphery, at least, of your explanation fascinating. So for our listeners, obviously, The Racer's Mind is still available. I pulled up your website, but uh, you're, you're not pushing that program like you had in the past. You're involved in other things. Just tell us a little bit about what you're doing today, what you're working on, and how that lights your fire. Yeah. Well, most of my work is, is in my counseling practice now. I, I don't have to travel to the track to do it. <laughs> so I work a little bit too much, I think. But I, I'm heavily invested in training and mastery, Luke, and wanting to really bring the science into the office in terms of what, what all is happening with brain-based treatments and treatment of trauma in particular. I've been really investing in a treatment technique that some people might be familiar with. It's called EMDR, or Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. A lot of words there. But Big words. It, yes. And uh, the heart of that comes back to uh, witnessing a, uh, how do I refer to this, an uncle-in-law having gone to his grave with some mental wounds from the Second World War, having been someone who was sh- shot out of the sky over Holland, and went to his grave with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms, because the community had nothing to offer him, but maybe a kind word. But what the community didn't know was how his brain was affected by that experience. And finally, the science is coming around to be able to address some of those conditions with folks with such a severe disorder. And I find it applies equally at times with racers as well. People who have been through a heavy crash and can't get the crash out of their mind, 
Mm-hmm. I worked with a racer who, this might sound a little familiar, he, he was at a big money race and he had the finish line style of turning his head 90 degrees. And the track was cold and slippery. And he didn't want to give up his driving style, but he was white knuckling it all weekend to try to maintain control of his car while watching his opponent at the finish line. And he found that since that weekend, he was unable to approach racing without a whole ton of fear. And what his brain had done is kind of coupled that level of fear and white knuckle racing with driving in in general. Mm. And we were actually able to apply a small amount of that technology using eye movement to help him sort of resolve that question and that lingering fear. And it was, uh, it helped him out a lot. Okay. So, now draw that correlation with me, the getting past the traumatic act. How is that correlated to eye movement? Yeah. Well, I mean, this may be way too deep in the weeds, but <laughs> the problem is that the scientists don't actually know why it's effective. Mm-hmm. But there's something about eye movement, and it turns out many forms of bilateral stimulation. If you tap on one knee and then the other, that's one form. We have these little pods that, that vibrate that that a person can hold that'll stimulate the brain from one side to the other. It's not an impulse. It's just any contact will do it. And there's something about that that promotes adaptive information processing within the brain. That's another lot, lot of okay. big words again. But if fear has become coupled with something where it doesn't belong – it'll help uncouple that fear. That's the best explanation I have because they don't actually know how it works because they haven't got inside the brain to see it actually work. Huh. Yeah, no, I think I can kind of connect the dots there. I, I, don't, I guess he can't say that it makes sense because the smartest people in the world can't necessarily make sense of it, but yes. I think I could draw the correlation. Interesting. It's got to be fascinating work. Yeah, and it is, and it's, it's encouraging to, to know that we, we actually have something to offer folks who have struggled maybe a lifetime with a, a battle wound or other psychological injury. Bruce, is there somewhere our listeners can keep up with you and what you're working on these days and going forward? I appreciate that, Jed. I'm not very visible in social media. In fact, I'm invisible in social media. My website for The Race is Mine, and I have a website for my practice, but in all honesty, that there's not much material on me other than just calling and making an appointment, but that's not very useful to your listeners. <laughs> well, it could be, it just it could might be more be. useful than you think, right? <laughs> it just might be. Yeah. Bruce, Bruce. Uh, thank you so much for coming on with us. Uh, it was uh, very fascinating and, and interesting, but we don't finish up interviews the the typical way. We, mm. we like to finish up with what we call rapid fire, and I know you're a listener to the show, and mm. You probably I've been aware looking of this. To this all week. <laughs> <laughs> but we want to throw a few questions at you and get right. that answer. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming you're up for it. I'm up for it. All right. All right, Bruce. What is the one thing that annoys you the most? Let's just say it's political. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that could take a wild answer. So a good short answer. Nothing <laughs> rapid about that. Okay. <laughs> Bruce, what is your worst habit? I've worked too hard. Mm. If uh, we obviously, you know that I'm a reader. We talked a little bit about a few books. If you could recommend one specific book to the racing community, it would be the Mindful Athlete Coleman. I think the author's name is. Okay. Go ahead and ask the next question, Big Jed. It's on my shelf here somewhere. <laughs> George Mumford. Bruce. Does that sound right? Yes, that's it. Yep, Mumford. 
I'm going to feel a lot better if I've seen this also. But what is your favorite movie? <laughs> if it's a car movie, you know, I haven't been able to get my head around how movies treat drag racing. It just doesn't feel authentic enough. So if it's a car movie, it's got to be American Graffiti. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Great one. Yeah. Bruce, you have spent a life trying to help people rid themselves of maybe rid's not the right word, of mental or emotional hurdles that, that stand in their way. But with that said, what's one odd, at least odd from the outside, quirk of your own personality that you've become comfortable and maybe content with? Quirk of personality become content with. Strangely enough, I carry self-doubt. And I've learned to just accept that the doubt is going to be there and work anyway. <laughs> I like that. That's a really good way to close the interview. Hmm. Well, Cause I, yeah. Because I don't know that, I mean, I guess in your practice, like the goal is to eliminate that, but I don't know if yeah. anyone truly gets there. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Bruce, wonderful job. We can't thank you enough for taking some time for us. We know you're very busy and we uh, very much appreciate the time you spent with us tonight. And I know that uh, our listeners are going to enjoy it as well. Well, I certainly hope so. And it's it's a thrill and a privilege to be able to talk with two luminaries that have changed the world in, of bracket racing. And uh, I'm just, you know, in awe. I'm happy luminaries. to be Luminaries. We're glad you talked to us too, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the kind words, honestly. Uh, we, yeah. It's, it's uh, humbling, but we, yeah. we definitely appreciate your time and mm -hmm. look forward to uh, having you on again one day. In, oh, in I appreciate that. Yeah. Get some more great content out of you. There was one thing. I, I have a few notes on my page. It's one thing I want to leave your listeners with, if I can. Certainly. And uh, We talked about this, this state of mind and how it can be stumbled onto by accident. And, and uh, you know, I, I would say that over time I've come to believe that it can't be forced. It can only be invited. But I would want people to know that there are tools that they can use to to reach that, that – that, that it doesn't to lose attitude. Yeah, that, that it doesn't. It doesn't have to be a mystery. Okay. That's, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah. I, I think that is relevant for everybody listening at any given time. So, very good piece of advice there. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Yes, sir. Likewise, we can't thank you enough for your time and uh, good luck going forward. And we'll catch up with you again down the road. I appreciate that. I'll be watching on racing results. Great. <laughs> Sounds great, Bruce. Right. Thanks again, man. Have a great night. Look at. Thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks, Bruce. Bye. You've been waiting all winter long, hearing them go on and on, so you can prove them all wrong. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. The IHRA Summit Sportsman Spectacular will happen June the 1st through the 3rd. IHRA will bring their new Summit Sportsman Spectacular to Extreme Raceway Park in Ferris, Texas. This event will provide a little something for everyone. It's got Ironman. It's got big checks for the winners. There will be round prizes, contingency, a golf cart race, 
and a racer appreciation cookout. The main event will be Saturday's $10,000 to win race, while Sunday will pay $5,000 to win. Both of these races allow electronics, but the no-box entries will be kept separate until one remains. The last remaining no-box racer will receive a $1,000 bonus on Saturday and a $500 bonus on Sunday. If that racer is an IHRA Summit Sportsman Series member, they receive another $500. Pre-entry is only $150 for the extreme event, and that will run until May the 21st. Pre-enter now at IHRA.com. What better time to talk about This is Bracket Racing Elite than following that interview with Bruce DeVoe. Not that myself or, or any member or instructor with any lead is anywhere near that psychological level, but we discuss the mental game a lot, and specifically topics like what drives you as a racer. Personally, I've had a blast for more than 20 years challenging myself to see just how good I can become. It's an ongoing pursuit that I assume will never end. This is Bracket Racing Elite is a unique membership community filled with racers just like you and me that share that same goal. And within the community, we, we push each other in an effort to find the answer to that very question, how good can I be? And to hopefully expand the potential answers to that same question. How do we do that? We do it through constant challenges, through introspection interaction and instruction. I know, lots of I words. Kevin Brandon and I combine to host the group. Members have direct access to us and also get exclusive access to the trainings that we provide. But Elite is much more than just Kevin and I. It's an incredible group of growth-minded racers who not only challenge themselves, but also challenge and encourage one another. If you're genuinely interested in seeing just how good you can become within our segment of this great sport, I'm confident that This Is Bracket Racing Elite can help you not only realize your potential, but expand it. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com. Big Jeb, we wanted to take a few minutes in the show and give a little brief look-ahead preview to the SDPC, that's the Scoggin Dickey Parts Center, Dream Team Shootout in Memphis. We've been talking about this off and on for the better part of, what, four or five months? It is, as our listeners listen to this, it is a week and a half away. Next week, we will actually be joined by either or, maybe both, event promoters, Britt Cummings and Galen Rollison, to really ramp up this discussion a little bit more. But we wanted to just preface it a little bit because I know you're going, I'm going. I'm as excited about this event as I've been for probably any event all season just because of how unique the format is. Like, I've never done anything quite like this. Jed, how about you? No, I uh, have not, and it's definitely going to be exciting. You know, it's uh, the All-State event has its own unique format as well, but uh, I believe these guys have done nothing but, you know, enhance that uh, racer excitement and experience with this Dream Team format. You know, forget about state lines. It's just take your best five and let's get after it, which is going to be awesome. Yeah, I mean, like, I've run bracket finals in the past. I assume you have, too, where you're it's sort of a team atmosphere. It's definitely a team atmosphere, but it's still an individual event. This isn't like that. A, you choose your own team. It's just five 
guys or gals, five people per team, per class. And let's say, Jed, that – and this is very possible. This could happen. That you, is, this, is this team bad guys or what, what, what's team Jed here? Yeah, it is team bad okay. guys, and it's, it's full of bad dudes, all except for me. Hopefully I'm fifth in line, and you know if they need me, I'm, I hate it for them. But the other four are going to be pretty mean, hard to handle. All right, well, let's just say that Team Bad Guys has to take on Team Elite. That's my This Is Bracket Racing Elite crew in round one or somewhere along the competition. Hopefully, for us, our sake, it's in the final. The way this is going to shake down is that we put up our number one, and you put up your number one, and they race. And then our number two's race, our number three's race. If we get that far, our fours and fives race. It's, it's a five-man team, mano a mano, best of five series. The winner advances to the next round. Winning team advances to the next round. Pretty cool. Like I say, I've never done anything like that. So in the end, you're not going to have an individual winner. You're going to have a team of five that outlasted all the other teams of five. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a neat dynamic. And I hope it takes off because it seems exciting. And it's just it's just different. It's just different enough that it's got me intrigued. Yeah, and what's, you know, you talked about it there. But what's so cool is, uh, obviously, if your team goes... One, two, three, win lights, you know, you don't use four and five. So there are going to be people that, that pay to race that don't get an opportunity because their teammates were bested on the racetrack. And there's going to be some that pay to race that continue to move rounds that might not run because their team was winning ahead of them. So it is extremely innovative in our sport, and I'm <laughs> really looking forward to seeing how it plays out. It's just it's going to be such a great time. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'll, I'll spill the beans a little bit. I'll d- divulge a little bit of strategy for Team Elite. And I'm just on the top mm. ball team because I don't have a bottom ball car, A, and B, I'm not very good at it. So I'm going to top ball race. I, I'm just going to I'm just gonna sh- tell you I'm going to anchor our team. Right, I'm, I'm going to be last. Hmm. And my thought is that Timmy Lee is bad to the bone, and I'm just going to save runs on my jump. <laughs> I, I don't expect to make two runs until we get real deep into this thing. Really? That's, well, that's, that's yeah. So we we have not uh, developed a strategy yet. Uh, our our main our this main concern similar to the way that we approach the podcast, <laughs> or the, at least that I do. Our main uh, goal right now is to get there. Team bad guys, uh, the four of the five team bad guys have a uh, commitment already in uh, in our area here in Birmingham on Friday. So. We will arrive Friday night. and it Sounds like a golf outing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I pegged it. Okay. You nailed it. And so, so we're going to arrive Friday night. We're going to roll in there Saturday and make our time hit. And we're just going to just tell somebody to line up. Let's do this. I mean. And this is ain't. a cool point because this is the, the dream team day is Saturday, but it is bookended by a Friday 10 grander. This is top hold. Sunday, 20 grander, and then a Monday, 10 grander, because it is Memorial Day weekend. So lots of racing, but I'd say that the Dream Team event is the main event of the weekend. Now, what about a little bit of potential gamesmanship involved here, Big J? Because I'm thinking, and again, I've thought way too much about this, obviously, but we've kind of got our roster. We've got our lineup for This Is Bracket Racing Elite, right? 
And, and by yes. the way, my team and my team, ooh, I feel so good about my team. Chad Duke, Kevin Brannon, Todd Piper, Brandon Fannin Steele, myself on the top. I just, I'm telling you, I like the chances, but <laughs> that sounds got, pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so I've got our lineup, and I'm like, say, I'm not going to divulge everything. I don't want anybody plotting against me here, but I'm pretty much going to send out this guy first and this guy second, like every round, right? That's my plan. But then I got to thinking about it, and the way that, that Britt and Galen are going to do this is that, okay, let's say again, for the sake of discussion, it's my team against your team. We're going to flip a coin and see who gets to pick first. Let's say it's me, and I say, okay, or my team. I say, okay, well, we're going to roll out KB first. Who do you want to race him? Whoever you want. And then the second pair, you're going to go first and say, okay, here's our guy. Who do you want to race him? And I thought, you know, there would be scenarios here. Like, let's say that I'm struggling with my car. Well, if you put out somebody in a 650 door car and I'm trying to go 460s and I don't know what I can go, like, that's not a good draw for me. I'm going to wait till you roll out like a 480 car that I can judge. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I could see there being a little bit of strategy involved there. Should be tons of strategy involved if you're doing it right. But I'm not sure. We really don't care who we race, Luke. You know, <laughs> we'll draw them out of hat if you want to. Uh, we're team bad guys. Four of the five are from Alabama. Uh, one of them is from Arkansas, which wishes they were from Alabama. So that's close enough for us. At least and they all start with an A. <laughs> they do all start with an A. That's uh, what my got, son would point out. We've got the Spring Fling Galat MVP, Larry Martin, is mm-hmm. our anchor. We've got, I mean, he's our head and our leader. We've got Nick Ross, which bested you in the final of a 50 grander in Huntsville. We've got Christopher Martin, which uh, ain't scared. He's not smart enough to be scared. He just rolls up there and gets after somebody, just lets go on time and goes dead on. Got Tyler Roach from Arkansas and then myself, which I hope I don't have to get on the racetrack. So. We're very confident there should be plenty of gamesmanship involved. This is not like a state pride thing because we've got an Arkansas member. It's not like the all-state thing to me. So I'll be talking plenty of crap with really uh, no care whatsoever what the the results are going to be. Shocker. Whoever we race against, just be prepared. It's nothing personal. It's just business. All right, next week we'll get a little bit deeper into the All-State, but I'm looking at like the preliminary roster for the top ball portion. And again, there is a top ball portion, there is a foot break portion, and there is a junior dragster portion. So we'll try to touch on all of them next week. But for right now, I know you're looking at the same thing I am here, Big Jed. Any teams that stand out to you that obviously your team bad guys, y'all are bad guys, you ain't scared of nobody, we get it. <laughs> but is there any team here that stands out and go, ooh, that, that looks pretty salty well the misfits uh, look pretty salty Uh, obviously your team much respect for the members of your team i think that's going to be a hard team to handle ezel's team uh, the the guys from louisiana they would have been unfortunately they got cody harger so that's that's what i was looking at here okay this is i guess the way this is structured this is cody harger's team Oh, I see. There there are six names there. So obviously, Cody Harger is smart enough to realize that he doesn't actually need to be a part of his team. Great job, Cody. Five guys that can go do it. Yeah. (laughs) Rick Huffman's team. I've I've got a meme coming just for that. I I, (laughs) I feel it coming. Why did I open my mouth? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's (laughs) Cody. He sets himself up for that. So. 
But as I look down the list, Luke, I can't see a team that I really want to race. No, so good. They're all very solid and very tough, uh, which is going to make this thing an absolute blast. Just looking forward to getting out there and seeing where we uh, where we match up. It's going to be cool. Yeah, I'm with you. When I looked through this, there was a couple that jumped out to me. Obviously, I'm uh, all my my uh, eggs are in one basket. My chips are in the middle with Team Elite. But if you had told me I had to pick somebody else, the team uh, King of the Coast. They jumped out to me a little bit. That's a strong group of guys. I know you've done some racing down there with Galen on the King of the Coast, but this was, uh, let me find it here. It was um, Wayne Henry, his son Brandon, Josh Enroth, uh, Jonathan Robin. I think there's one other out. Stephen Barnett. Like mm-hmm. Those guys ain't nobody to mess with. And I just think, nobody's ever said this to me, but I think that there is a sentiment in that area and maybe among this group that like as much as we talk about and everybody talks about the Cummings and the Ezels, like there is a a faction of competition down there that think that these guys are better than any of them. And most people yeah. hadn't heard of them because they don't get out of that area. But they ain't nobody to mess with. Like I could see this group coming in not only with a bunch of talent, but maybe a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. I think there's somebody to watch out for. You mentioned uh, Team Misfits. That is – this is – from, if you just go strictly off of name recognition and accomplishments, this is probably the heaviest hitting group out there. You got Ryan Harum, Champ, Stephen McCrory, Brandon Taylor, friend of the podcast, Slate, Baby Gap Cummings, and Mikey Bloomfield, aptly named Team Misfits. They're going to be a handful. <laughs> I poked fun at Harger a little bit, but that team is salty without question if you're, if you're uh, led by Johnny Ezell you're for real it's johnny zell wade white nathan martin former million dollar race winner brad clark perry como salty team there but if you told me luke you can't pick elite and you can't well i'm not gonna pick team bad guys just because you're on it not that you're not capable <laughs> if you told me luke, you, you had to pick one team i think i would go more based on obviously talent is involved but more based on location than anything team Farrell. Because you can't get a group of people that have won more at Memphis International Raceway than Jason Farrell, Buddy Farrell, Mikey Harville, Jesse, and Jeff Bobo. At that place, that is a tough out. Yeah, that, that is going. you're definitely right. That's going to be a tough out. Very familiar with uh, the facility and the landscape and just the whole look of the place. So that, that's going to be a very difficult team to get by. I was just looking down the list. Uh, Corey Galitti and Chris Galitti's team got Kurt Harvey, Bart Nelson, and how about them adding Gage Birch? So they're bringing Gage up from Florida, the young gun that's absolutely on fire right now, by the way. We know the Galitti's, how they've performed lately, and Harvey and Nelson are great teams. I don't know, Luke. There there is not a soft group in this whole thing, and it is going to play out a lot of fun. You you talked about – everybody talks about the Ezels and the Cummings. Definitely going to be talking about Ezel and Cummings <laughs> when this is all said and done, as they will square up for rounds two through five of their legendary trash talk match race that uh, Ezel is up 1-0 currently. Yeah, we might have misspoke earlier when we said that the Dream Team was the main event of the weekend. I think this is probably the main event of the weekend. <laughs> this will get me to the fence. Yes, for sure. Obviously, it's been a few months now, but Johnny Brackett Racer took round one down in Bell Rose at the Southern Big Bucks Nationals. 
So Britt now is is faced with the challenge of trying to win three out of four. Tough road to hoe against anybody, specifically against arguably the best bracket racer in the country, Johnny Zo. <laughs> and I, I think like coming in, we kind of talk like it's common perception that Johnny's got to be the favorite just because he's Johnny Zell. And now he's up 1-0. But you take that to the next level, I think, just because I've never tried to do both, Jed, and I don't think you have either. But, well, I guess you have to some extent. Like, you, you've walked this line a little bit, not so much at your events. But you understand, like, how much stress and work it is to promote an event. Yes, and I just can't imagine like trying to compartmentalize all that and focus on racing as well. I think for that reason alone, like I, I would never say that Brit's the favorite here, but like I would be really impressed if he pulled this off. I'd honestly be impressed if he made it go to five, just given that. Like I think that's really difficult to do. Yeah, I think that'd be heroic effort because, um, you know, you're talking about all the stress and everybody's coming to you, asking you questions. Let's be honest. They're asking you questions that the flyer is full of answers, but they're asking (laughs) you anyway. So it's just stressful because, you know, you've worked so hard to put the information where it was easy to find and where everyone could access it. And they still are coming to you. What time's that time trial start in the morning? exactly when the flyer says for that day's schedule it's exactly when it'll start so it just creates extra stress aggravation and you know Britt's going to be dealing with a lot of stuff maybe he turns that into a positive goes out on the racetrack with aggression and uh, just a little bit of anxiety to where he turns that into something good and shows Johnny that he can channel that to make something positive happen. So I'm looking at Yeah, forward. I could see turning that around. I mean, you look at the flip side of it. Obviously, Johnny's going to be racing in the event. So he's going to be going down the track a bunch. And typically, you would look at that as an advantage. But you and I have been there, too, when you race for two, three, four days. Like, it's not always easy to stay sharp on day number last. So, <laughs> no, you know, that, that could work both ways. So I'll give you that. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to it again. I, it'll get me to the fence, and um, Johnny's up 1-0, and Britt's got to Britt's got to get some early success. Keep this thing going to to rounds four and five. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I need the world's fastest golf cart because I don't want to miss any of the pre-race banter that's sure to happen in the staging lanes. Like, I just I want to be a fly on the wall there. But when they stage up, I want to be at the finish line because I just feel like. That's where I want to watch those two guys. So yeah, how can I be in both places, Big Jed? Well, it's going to be rather difficult. So you're probably going to have to pick a place. And I think you just gave that away where you're going to be. So okay, uh, well, no, I actually, no, you'll get to see all that, Luke. Think so? Yeah, because by the time they get suited up, they'll be through trash talking. Somebody needs to be between them in the lanes with the live feed. That way I can sit on my butt in the bleachers at the finish line. There you go. Watching Facebook Live or something to see, oh, did you hear what Bridget said? And, and then watch <laughs> it happen. Right? So that's, that's, that's it. I, I've solved the problem. That's the riddle. We've solved it. That's how it's going to roll. Can't wait. Some, somebody's got to take one for the team and be in the staging lanes. The rest of us can all sit in the bleachers. So you can prove them all wrong. Only thing that matters is who turns the big and all. This thing on your mind when you wake. 
honey. Where are we racing next week? It's time to discuss next week's major events, news, updates, releases, and announcements. It's What's on Tap. Hi, Luke. Uh, What's on tap for the weekend is um, a lot of stuff to do on paper, but unfortunately, (laughs) it looks like Mother Nature is interjecting here and going to, or has caused uh, the cancellation of some, some postponed, um, and some of them are still hanging in the balance, waiting to make a decision, so... Uh, unfortunately, it could be a wet weekend across a lot of the areas that these events are going or was planned to be contended. But the uh, IHRA Summit Sportsman Spectacular is postponed. Um, the pre-entry for that event at Keystone was uh, extended to uh, June the 11th. So, unfortunately, the IHRA, those, that Sportsman Spectacular, that, that they've dealt with weather and, and issues early on, but they are taking it very well and rescheduling and from what i understand what has happened already has been a lot of fun so looking forward to seeing how that summit sportsman spectacular plays out yeah the sportsman drag racing podcast big fan of the ihra sportsman spectacular we've talked about that in the past mother nature apparently to this point not so much a big fan so hopefully that gets turned around in the near future jed to your point producer mark put us a laundry list of events uh for this weekend here on what's on tap but uh, like half of them already postponed we talk, you mentioned the ihra race the uh sfg no dragster nationals uh, scheduled for this weekend in mooresville already been postponed that'll be completed at a later date same with the no limit triple crowns um postponed will be completed at a later date um mother nature like you said already wreaking havoc and as we record this on tuesday yeah, you know, we had 310 Granders here uh, called Let's Make a Deal at Huntsville Dragway over they're coming up this weekend. And I know Bones and Andy and the folks out of Huntsville are making a decision tomorrow, but it doesn't look great. Our weather uh, looks pretty rough for the weekend. Um, hopefully, Fontana, California at Auto Club Speedway is going to have great weather for the NHRA Division 7 Lucas Oil event. Uh, there is uh, Norwalk has a Division Three Lucas Oil event at Summit Race in Motorsports Park. Um, I don't know if the weather's getting that far north, so we wish them luck. The uh, Division Two NHRA Lucas Oil event at South Georgia Motorsports Park could have a challenge or two. We'll see how that goes. And uh, then, uh, obviously, at uh, Heartland Park, Topeka. Uh, the NHRA event there. Hopefully, they they have a good event as well. Also known as the Austin Williams Benefit Race. So we'll see if that <laughs> trend continues in 2018. Yes, it does. So, so yeah, it looks like an NHRA heavy weekend, uh, weather permitting, obviously. Yeah, going to be a challenge or two out there. But we're wishing everybody luck and and some good racing. But Luke, it's uh, it's been quite an interesting and. Uh, long show for us we, we went a little over probably what we intended to but it was all really good stuff but that's going to wrap us up this episode of the sportsman drag racing podcast is coming to a close i want to say thanks to our guest uh bruce devoe um just really took us down a path that we don't get to go down very often in racing but it is the the mental side of what we do is uh, equally important as the physical side and bruce uh, definitely shed some light on some things uh, that, that made a lot of sense for us. And I want to say thanks to our great sponsors, Sabre Performance, the IHRA Summit Sportsman Spectacular, and This Is Bracket Racing Elite. 
Uh, any shout-outs this week, Luke? Yeah, you caught me. I'm a little unprepared. I know that's awful because shout-outs come every week. Um, shout-out Cole Castile. Shout-out Crosby, North Dakota. Um, <laughs> shout-out to Gage Birch and uh, everybody that commented on his Facebook pages that we were stalking to give us a better idea of exactly what Gage has accomplished. We'll shout those out. Um, <laughs> shout-out to Cody Harger. Um, don't get me. Don't get on me too bad. I love you. Um, we love you, Cody. Yeah. Um, shout out to that whole team, Memphis, the the Farrells, Mikey, Jesse, Jeff, Bobo, um, and shout out to Victo because Victo. Yeah, right? because Victo. Because Victo. yeah, and anytime you shout out to Bobos, um, you know that's one of my favorite names. I mean, if your last name is Bobo, you you're a tough dude. So, shout out to the Bobos. I love it. All name yeah. team. Yeah, no, those guys are going to be hard to handle. Shout out Team Bad Guys. Guys, be sure to tell us what you think. Uh, message us on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Uh, you can send us something right there to Messenger, and hopefully we'll get back with you. Whether you like it or whether you don't, what we can do better or what we're doing great, if there is anything, let us know. We love the feedback from you. Uh, you can definitely catch up with us, uh, Luke or I, on Twitter. Uh, you can at us at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I, and I am at JP11X. And we're done this week. Big week coming up next week. Weather's going to get better. We're going to do some great racing, and we look forward to uh, talking to you again next Wednesday. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning in. Football getting in. The IHRA Summit Sportsman Spectacular will happen June the 1st through the 3rd. IHRA will bring their new Summit Sportsman Spectacular to the new Extreme Raceway Park in Ferris, Texas. This event will provide something for everyone. They've got Ironman. They've got big checks for the winners. There will be round prizes, contingency, a golf cart race, and a racer appreciation cookout. Now, the main event will be Saturday's $10,000 to win race while Sunday will pay $5,000. Both races allow electronics, while no box entries will be kept separate until one remains. That racer will receive a $1,000 bonus on Saturday and a $500 bonus on Sunday. Now, if that racer is an IHRA Summit Sportsman Series member, they will receive another $500 bonus. Pre-entry, again, is only $150, and the event will run... Oh. Mm-mm. No, that ain't uh, that. That didn't flow. I don't. Was it supposed to be extreme down there? Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer, led by knowledgeable professionals. Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors, and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. 
That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.